Hi, my name's Cena, and welcome to another episode of the Millennial Entrepreneur Podcast, a podcast that discovers the motivations and uncovers the journeys of the most inspirational young entrepreneurs. In this episode, I spoke to Ben Fisher, who went from studying physics with his sights set on working within the defense industry to founding an app in beauty. He talks about how finding out his final year project at university was bought for £40 million and how it was a massive motivation to overcome his imposter syndrome. Be sure to subscribe to the podcast because we've got some amazing guests coming up and if you haven't already checked out our first episode, it was a great one, so yeah, be sure to go back and listen. Don't forget to leave a five-star rating and a review because it really does help us out. All right, let's go on with the episode. So I'd love to talk to you about kind of your journey early on. So uh, yeah. you obviously went to university and you started your your business after after yeah after you worked for a, for a for a few months I think for a few years and then yeah, um, yeah so if if you wouldn't mind just talking about that. Yeah, cool. So I think probably the place to start would really be uh, university for me. So as you mentioned, I studied applied physics. And this basically came about when I was at school, I knew I wanted to go to university and I wanted to do something in further education because it was always kind of reinforced with me with school that you needed further education to do what you wanted to do later on in life and to kind of uh, present yourself as an uh, employable person. So I picked... uh, applied physics one because I thought it'd be challenging and I thought it'd be interesting and two because I thought the skills that I would get uh, would be beneficial uh, later in life even though I didn't know exactly what I wanted to do so um, yeah basically uh, started physics and then while I was there what kind of differentiated it with the applied part was a lot of the stuff we were doing was about how to apply uh, basically apply physics to businesses or how to make products or how to solve problems so I ended up doing quite a few projects there, which were essentially we have a problem, we need to solve it. And a lot of them were military based. So in second year, I built a system uh, with my team, all friends of mine at uni, and it was a, a gunfire detection system. And the whole idea was if uh, a vehicle or individuals are getting shot at by a sniper, it'll be able to triangulate where that gunfire is coming from, the angle of elevation, the distance away and then it will be able to either output that data visually like in a heads-up display or within a car saying the direction of fire kind of like you get on cod or halo when you're getting shot at or it'll be able to plug into a automated uh like weapon system that'll be able to retaliate uh yeah return fire so yeah from that then i did in my third year i did my final year project with dstl and uh struggled big time with that probably the hardest thing i've ever done in my life but got it working in the end pretty much on the 11th hour before handing and then yeah kind of went into sales after and didn't hear anything about that and then yeah i kind of that was when i was starting started to think that if i'm gonna start a company i need to diversify my skill set so i'd done some development work i'd done project work i hadn't done any sales i didn't really know how that worked so that's why I went into that. And it was while working at that company doing uh, tech recruitment in Berlin that I found out that my final year project uh, was used as part of a government stimulus package for the Ministry of Defence. And it ended up going for 40 million uh, through LinkedIn. So I resigned that day and then started taking BU, which I started a couple of months earlier, a lot more seriously. 
that's a really interesting story. It's really probably unique. Uh, I've, I haven't heard a similar story to that before, where <laughs> someone goes from defense, you know, guns and, yep. and missiles into the hairdressing and stylist industry. That's very, very unique. Um, I, I, have, I have loads of questions about that. But firstly, um, yeah, what kind of like similarities? What did you learn from doing all of that stuff at university? And then taking it on board, like why? Why was why was that good for for starting Bu? Yeah, so I think really one of the biggest lessons I ever got, when uh, or one of the most important lessons for me that I got that I really took from university was one of my first ever lectures that I had, and basically the whole premise of the lecture was to get us comfortable with uh, making assumptions and making accurate assumptions. So we spent maybe three hours trying to solve questions that seemed absolutely ridiculous. So uh, things like what is the possibility of life within distance? How many stars are there in the sky? How many grains of sand are there on Earth? Uh, How many piano teachers are there in a city in uh, America? Like really abstract questions and kind of getting you familiar with the concept of uh, being comfortable making assumptions for which you can then form a... um, kind of like a an understanding of and this is something I really carried over when we started doing project-based stuff and we had to do things quickly so from that I think one of the big key things I took on board was uh it's good to make assumptions if you can do 90% of the product and 10% of the work uh 100% do that and just test 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 and that's kind of really helped me I think develop into what I'm doing now with an early stage startup where you have to make decisions quickly uh, if you have an idea and you think it's a good idea, you've just got to stick to it. And then uh, then you can test it and find out if it's working or not and adapt it as opposed to kind of being scared of making these decisions. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I definitely agree with you. Just uh, before we kind of jump into what Bue is so everyone can un- kind of understand what, what the actual app does, um, just a very short question. How did it feel when... Um, I assume that you were reading on your phone or your laptop or whatever. When you read on LinkedIn that your final year project actually, was it sold for 40 million? Did it get funded for 40 million? Yeah, it's a bit of a shock to be honest. <laughs> so yeah, no, I, was, I was actually at work and a lot of the work I did was on LinkedIn. So it was sourcing people, uh, finding companies that we can partner up with. And uh, yeah, it just came up on my newsfeed. Uh, and it was, it was basically like, as you can imagine, someone on stage talking about it, talking about the different bits of project. And um yeah, they were speaking about my one and essentially the whole idea of the uh, project I did. They had an issue where they, when they had soldiers going into a battle zone, a lot of the warfare at the time was asymmetrical with Afghanistan and Iraq. So what would happen is the uh, insurgents would put bombs down and then rather than try and kill people and main people with the bombs, what it would do is it would create a uh, atmosphere that was more suitable for their kind of warfare so friendly soldiers would go in they'll put in a electromagnetic jammer which would uh, stop the bomb being detonated with either phones or quite commonly they're using garage clickers but what it meant for friendly soldiers was that it killed their uh, all of their communications all of the electronics that they were using so they basically said how can we make a system that would work around this so i built a system that worked and it was weird, actually, I found a, I had a really, like, really vague spec because they weren't allowed to disclose too much because um, uh, I couldn't get military clearance for it. So I had a really vague spec, but ended up finding an article to do with how submarines transmit Wi-Fi. And they use uh, ultrasound because electromagnetic waves basically get, get killed in salt water. 
So they use ultrasound to transmit Wi-Fi and internet and communications down to submarines. So I did a similar system to work for soldiers and vehicles within a uh, like short-range battle space. So yeah, but I mean, the actual finding of it, yeah, I was, yeah, I, I think it's probably the best thing that's ever happened to me though, because until then I didn't really have any validation that I could start something on my own and I could build something of value. And I always thought, like, yeah. I don't know, what if, what if, this is a good idea, this is a good idea, but I never had anything that really pushed me to take it. So as soon as I saw that, that was all the validation I, I, I needed. And I I was a couple of weeks into starting View at the time, like just here and there, a couple of hours a day. And I thought, you know what, let's just go for it. Let's see what we can do. Yeah, I think we'll probably talk about this a, a little bit later, but how yeah. how important was that sort of like confidence injection into you? Because uh, I assume you were quite young at this stage, you know, early, very early 20s. Yeah, um, where you kind of thought, "Hang on, I can do more than this. I can actually go out and yeah. not, you know, my age isn't ex- is, my age isn't just a dumb. It's, it's not, yeah, it's, it's not an excuse for me. I can go out and actually start something myself that's, that that can provide value." Yeah, absolutely. It was it was massive. And the other thing is as well, like one of the reasons why I think it was so important to me, and what it really injected into me was what I spoke about a minute ago about the idea of prototyping. So. All I did for that project was a prototype. It just was just a proof of concept to say, hey, this works. You can do this. So it wasn't anything that was going to be the final product. It was just like, this is the technology. This is how we use it. This is how we encode it. This is a feasible solution to this problem. And this could save lives. And that really kind of uh, injected into me the belief that not only the belief in myself that I can do something and I can make something that will be of value, but say, actually, like, rather than try and find solutions, let's try and solve problems. And I think that's probably the most important lesson that I had in anything that I've done to do with startups is always make sure you're focusing on the problem. And uh, it's, it's easy to get carried away with solutions. It's something I've done before with uh, with you. You think you're making a great feature. For you, it's a great feature, but you're not actually solving a problem. So yeah, that whole experience that I did has been, I guess, is the fundamentals of my startup uh, career, to be honest. Yeah, I think what's what's important to stress is that that you know finding a solution that doesn't really have that doesn't really solve a problem that's actually out there, uh, yeah. just because you think it's you know a good feature, that's yeah. a really important thing to to highlight. That I think a lot of people, especially young entrepreneurs in the you know the beginning of their journey, they very much focus on you know what what would they like to see, and they don't really focus on a wider sort of is there actually a problem here, and actually yeah, understand exactly. the problem from from the core. Um, yep. that's something that I think I've definitely found out through my journey. And as you've said that you found out through yours as well also. Um, yep. so yeah, I just wanted to stress that even more. So to, kind of circling back to your, to, to your app a bit more, how did you kind of test, test stuff? Cause you talked about testing before, like testing assumptions. Well, actually yep. before, before we talk about that, why don't you actually tell, tell everyone what your app does and how it kind of helps people. Um, yeah, just, just give kind of a low down elevator pitch what is Bue before we before we talk about that? Yeah, so the elevator pitch would be that Bue is a single platform for the hair and beauty industry. And probably the best way that I can tell you a little bit about it is tell you how I came up with the idea. So I was actually visiting friends at my university, uh, went down and then one of them was like, look, we're going out to this event tonight. It's going to be great. Make sure you're looking sharp. So I went to get a haircut and the barbers that I used to go to in the city had shut. So I just basically found somewhere local because I couldn't find anything online really and um, yeah regretted it massively like my hair was awful friends were all laughing and I was like there's got to be a better way 
So it, the idea of Bue and what it became are kind of two different things. So the idea of Bue was to be able to find good barbers, good hairdressers in your local area. And then the more I kind of dug into it, I realized that there's fundamental issues in the industry. And a lot of it's revolving around self-employed people. So we've made the only uh, software solution for self-employed people in the hair and beauty industry as a result. Yeah, I, I, like, I think that's, there's definitely a problem there um, for sure. And I think that's, it's definitely like if you, finding a new barber yep. as a man is so stressful. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I've de- I'm definitely a sufferer of this problem. Moving, moving to a new city, uh, finding a new barber that you can trust, yep. I think is a massive problem. So yeah, I think it's, it's definitely a gap in the market there. Yeah. And how did you, so you kind of, you kind of had the, the idea from yourself, your own kind of personal yep. sort of, you know, you tried to find a barber and they, they messed your hair up, but, how did you kind of test wider if there's actually a problem there or if it was just kind of a personal struggle? Yeah, of course. And I think this is something that's really important as well, especially if you're getting into an industry that you're not that familiar with and you, you really need to understand your market. So uh, the way I tested that was um, literally just speaking to as many people as possible. Initially, uh, like the kind of coding I did wasn't really suitable for app development. I, I, I kind of think the best way that you can show someone uh, a problem or a solution is actually physically show it to them. So initially I started off in PowerPoint slides and just doing very basic UI UX and saying, look, here's a problem. Imagine this scenario. Uh, here's a very, very basic outline of a solution that I think could work. Can you, can you have a look at it and t- tell me what you think? And then rather than giving them like the full solution, I gave them as little as I could that they could interact with and basically just listen to what they said. So, I like this, I need this, I need this. And to kind of find out what problems that they really have as opposed to the problem you have as a consumer. Because you've got to remember with that kind of business, like although it's great giving a good experience to the consumers who can't find a good barber and stuff, you've also got to remember who you're going to be asking to pay for the software or who who's going to be paying for your business. And I think it's very important that you have almost both thinking hats on, that you're approaching the uh, problem from all angles and making sure that you are catering uh, for the people who are actually going to be paying for your services as well. So that's something I think is very important. Just basically speak to as many people as you can as possible and just really try and find out what what their pain points are and how you can solve them. Yeah, for sure. And I think I, I think a lot of a lot of people might say, wait, hang on, how do you how do you speak to the relevant person? I have an idea. Yep. How do you actually reach out and speak to them? Yep. How did you do it? How did I do it? So this is, uh, yeah, basically one of the way I did it was initially I just walked into every single barber I could. I got a train into London, started, uh, I think I started in Shoreditch and then walked from Shoreditch to uh, the river and basically walked into every single salon on the way and just said, look, can I speak to you for five minutes? Can I get some feedback on this idea? And within a day, I probably went into 20, 30 salons. By the end of the day, I had a good idea of what the issues were. And then from that point onwards i basically uh i started approaching people in the industry and saying look can i get some feedback on this messaging on linkedin uh finding out their emails using like chrome plugins sending them an email calling them up and just saying look can i just have two minutes of your time and basically just going about that way and what what you'll find i think and what i found is people are actually really receptive to help people if they don't feel like they're being sold to and they don't feel like anything's being pushed on them most people do have time to speak to you so that's something that I think is very important uh, for everybody who has an idea for a business or who is starting to develop a product is make sure you are speaking 
to your end consumers and speak to them in a way that they don't that they they feel that they can be honest with you so they they don't feel that you're trying to sell something to them they don't feel they have to be polite you speak to them in a way that you can get critical feedback and i think that's quite important you've got to make sure you're asking the right questions and also i think something that a lot of young people might struggle with is going into you know stores and having that sort of physical conversation i know a lot of, a lot of my friends even now at their age are very sort of apprehensive about talking on the phone even yep and what i would say to kind of highlight your point i think yeah people are very open to talk to talk to people um about their problems and as long as they don't feel like they're being sold to as you said yeah they're very open to talk about their problems and and you don't have to go in with kind of would you like this you can kind of be very open with them and kind of ask around sort of generally what's that what their sort of problems are and then kind of mold your sort of business idea around them that's that's the way that's the approach you should yeah. you should adopt i think exactly and i think the other thing is as well quite often people don't know what their problems are so you, you have to coax it out of them and find out not just what what is the cause of the problem but what does that mean to them so do they feel like they're not generating the revenue that they should be generating why is it a marketing issue is it a pricing issue there's a million different things that could be causing these problems it's about making them explore what their problems are to find out if you can build a solution for it so yeah making sure you don't ask pointed questions i think is incredibly important in that stage of uh, research okay so you've you found out the problem now what yep. was kind of the next step for you so you knew that was, you knew that was a problem and you knew kind of what the sort of yeah what the drivers were for these problems yeah what, what what did you do next so th this is the thing. So basically armed with my PowerPoint presentation of what I thought an app would look like and realizing that I didn't have the necessary skills to build this. I'm, I'm not an iOS developer. I'm not an Android developer. I'm not a web developer. I realized that I had one had to assemble a team that could help me on this journey and two, make sure I had the right people on board. So um, I actually approached a friend of mine that I went to school with. That I've known since I was probably about 11. Good friend of mine and said, look, what do you think of this idea? Um, told him about it. He's like, yeah, sounds great started working on it and then what we quickly realized to develop uh like we could build an mvp we could show people what they needed but to develop something with the features required for them to use it as a standalone software solution within a salon um a basic basic mvp is not going to do it so we basically started looking at right rather than thinking about what is the problem that we're solving now we said hang on a minute where do we want to be in two years time like we, we've got an idea of what could work what will this product look like in two years' time? What will it look like in a year's time? What will it look, look like in six months' time? And rather than trying to solve a problem for tomorrow, we're trying to solve a problem for then. So uh, we, we kind of focused our resources on making sure that we had uh, a very, very good understanding of the market and also of the working conditions in the market. And then we built out a very thorough uh, prototype, which we used to get funding, which then we used to build the... Uh, kind of the first release of our application so we went that route as opposed to starting development first and then seeing if we could attract users and what what do you do you think that was the correct step in in kind of retrospect do you think that's if you were to start it again yeah do you think for people starting their own app do you think that's the correct step to take uh 90 percent of the time i i would say no and the other thing is as well like for us at that time it was because of our skill set and what we were trying to achieve and what we thought we needed to do to get there however um i think something that I, I i could have benefited more from 
is I mentioned prototyping. Like I wish that was ingrained with me as heavily as it is now back then, because I feel uh, that prototyping everything quickly and eliminating assumptions quickly is the most important thing you can do. Because even if you do decide to go that route, what it can help prevent is feature creep. And feature creep is expensive and it takes time. And um, since then, I think I've learned a lot to do with how to prototype quickly, how to test new ideas, how to split test uh, when making development decisions that would have benefited me a lot back then. And there's a, a few books I read probably just after that point, which I, w- I wish I read six months before, because it probably would have saved us quite a bit of money in the early stages. What, what books were they? Uh, off the top of my head, uh, Zero to One by Peter Thiel. That's a good book, but Sprint by, is it is it Nap, Jake Knapp? So the guy from Google Ventures, basically about how to implement Sprint and build out ideas in a few days. That was really, really helpful, actually. And uh, The Lean Startup was uh, another good book, I think. And those three kind of form my Bibles of the startup scene, I guess, for me anyway. Though I'm super keen to hear about any uh, recommendations you, you might have. No, yeah, I think I think lean lean startup is something that I think yeah I think that's kind of a fundamental one that um, because it's still you know the frameworks and things they're still being used today and very widely widely used as well. Uh, you know, I've been to quite a few hackathons and um, and events like that where it's always being used. So I think yeah, I think if you get a good understanding of that, uh, I think yeah, I think that's a really good source to use. What do you think? Yeah, absolutely. And um, since, since I've been doing some mentoring and stuff, the first thing I always say is that before before you start anything, just read those books. Read those books. It will solve 90% of the questions you have. And then anything else after that, you at least have some kind of framework to work with. Because I think that's another thing that's very difficult in the beginning is finding out how you should be working and how you should be structuring those early months. Yeah, for sure. And especially especially when resources are very kind of scarce in the in yeah. the early months. So how important well i guess like you kind of validated the idea at the beginning right with you with all your prototyping and testing those assumptions but that was kind of a vital step into getting funding right and then the the funding actually allows you to build the product you want to build yeah yeah for for us that was really important and it also allowed us a good route to market as well because we uh something that's important when you're going for funding is making sure you're getting it with the right person uh, because of, uh, I, I think for a lot of people, the idea of asking people for money is a very, very scary prospect. And I know it was for me, the, like these, the numbers are like, if you ask someone for 10 grand, 20 grand, 30 grand, 40 grand, it's a, it's a big amount of money. And I think that in itself can present some inherent challenges just due to the, uh, the almost like the awkwardness of it. I think people were very reluctant to talk about money, but what's important to remember uh, at all stages with funding with all this kind of stuff it's not just about the money itself so if you can put the money aside and like the associations you have with asking someone for that kind of money and you can break it down and say this is what we need this for this is what we need this for this is what we need this for and also do some research into the uh what, what investing means for an investor because this is the other side to it as well if you're an investor you get very good tax breaks uh seis eis there are a lot of benefits to investing and i think by educating yourself on that side of things when you're going for investment, I think it kind of takes some of the uh, stigma away from that's kind of associated with asking people for money. And I think that's kind of important to do quite early on and just realize that money is a resource 
same in the same way that the time you're putting into this business is a resource. Mine, money and time are two of the same things. Money allows you to do it. Time allows you to do it. So, yeah, I think the whole idea of asking for funding, especially with angels as well, early on, um, that's something that's very, very important. And I kind of wish there was maybe a little bit more guy, guidance when I was doing it just to kind of prepare me for that. So who who funded you and how how did those conversations kind of happen? Like how did you find was it an angel investor? Did you have to find someone to to invest into into your app? Yep. So we've got a um, angel investor and they're the well that the, they've they're chosen to remain anonymous for now. But basically, the way we went about investment was I said, look, I've got a really good idea that I think uh, you'd be interested in. I would love to pitch you about investment. I don't know if you invest in companies before. I don't know anything about that. Um, I don't know you. So while I'm building out this idea, can can I uh, can I intern it for your company for a bit and see if I can prove myself? And after a set period of time, I, I'll pitch you. And that's literally how I went about it. I just said, look, I'll, l- let me come work for you. Let me prove myself. And then we can go from there. And we can talk about maybe investing in this idea. You, so you actually, what, emailed this guy that you've kind of been tracking for a long time and said, let me work for you for a bit intern for you so you can so you can get to know me and then after that if you're impressed we can talk about my idea yeah exactly the, the thing for me was like i was trying to put myself in their boots and i mean i was 20 21 and like i was thinking if someone called me up on the day and said hey can i have x amount of money here's my idea let me tell you about it for 30 minutes like there's, there's actually no way that i'm going to trust someone after that amount of time to invest no way and maybe that's just me, but for me, I think it's important. One, for me as a who was looking for investment, it was important I got investment from the right person. So it also gave me time to vet if they're going to be able to help me, not just with the money side of things, but with the business side of things. Do they have a network? What's their network like? How will that impact us down the road? And um, you know, it's all this kind of bits that goes alongside the actual monetary value of the investment, I think is really important. So trying to build a relationship before you go for it. For me, it worked very well. And I think that's probably important for a lot of other people too. Okay. So post post funding. Um, yeah. What were your kind of like first, because obviously you get, you get funding and it's kind of a very exciting process and you think this kind of funding will last forever, but um, you have to be very resourceful. You have, you still have to work lean. And so yeah. kind of, what was the experience after funding? Did you kind of think, oh, we've got loads of money now. We can do, we can kind of do as much, we can do loads that we want to do. Yeah. So this is, uh, basically we went into funding. We're saying, Hey, we need this. This is our prototype with this. We'll build out the tech. We, um, and what the route that we chose to go down was to outsource some of the work. So, um, and this is something that I feel we learned a lot from. And unfortunately, it stung us in the beginning, but you can also have very good experiences with it too, which we've had since. So we essentially, yeah, well, if you put yourself in that shoes, I mean, trying to find someone to outsource with is a scary prospect because we didn't really have links to that industry. So we were essentially putting messages out there saying, hey, look, we need to get this product built. We looked at the obvious places for uh, outsourcing to keep costs down. So Eastern Europe, India, and ended up settling with a company in India who we chose to do our uh, our work with. And, um, I mean, it, it all started pretty well. It was moving quite nicely. And then suddenly things started just to break down a little bit. Communication started breaking down. Uh, and then they kept missing the deadlines. And we, we realized, hang on a minute, this isn't a good situation to be in. 
And then thankfully, one of the guys that actually was working on our team as a project manager said, hey, look, I, I want to give you a heads up. The people that run this company have been very shady. I think they've been copying uh, some of your code bases and trying to sell what they're developing for you to other companies. So, I mean, that was a shock for us. And then obviously... Oh, really? <laughs> yeah, when, you, when you're starting out, I mean, that is a a scary, scary, scary thought. Like, hang on a minute, we put all this work in, all this money in, and someone's going to get... They're going to basically sell it for half the price to another company who's going to be competing with us. So that was a big lesson early on. Like, if you are going to be outsourcing, uh, make sure you're outsourcing with the right people because th there's a reason why there's a stigma with it. And I think, unfortunately, there's a few companies that ruin it for a lot of people. And uh, it caused that stigma to stick. So we had an awful experience at the beginning. But luckily, uh, due to the the guy on our team who who raised the flag with us and let us know and actually showed us all the stuff, we managed to get our code out there, get get the money out of there as well. And then we ended up partnering up with, uh, he, he got hired by another company. He left and got hired by another company. And since I've been working with them and the experience has been brilliant. So uh, yeah, that's kind of what we did post-funding. And then also we did a lot to do with marketing. So uh, a lot of exhibitions, started to build up our brand presence. And this kind of helped us to further validate our idea because we we're doing exhibitions where there'd be 30, 40,000 barbers and hairdressers all in the same room. We we're talking to hundreds of people a day saying, hey, what, what do you think of this? What do you think of this? We'll take that feedback back, start building it out and start onboarding these clients. So it allowed us to one, refine the product and two, sell at the same time which uh, again, I think is very helpful. I think like I hate being sold to personally. I think sales calls are the most frustrating thing. So if you can do it in a way that you're trying to solve problems for people, they're much more receptive. So that was always kind of our objective when we were trying to sell our products and also trying to refine what we were selling. Before, before we kind of move on um, to kind of you as a person, yep. what was your kind of biggest challenge in the whole, you know, starting view and kind of where you are right now? um it depends really i think startups are hard starting a business is hard like hard hard work hard graft and is full of highs and lows it literally is like i think everyone says it if it's done it you have the highest highs and the lowest lows and two two of the things that i found most difficult uh one on a personal level was like almost the feel of like you're sacrificing a lot you put all your time into it all your money into it uh, you, like, you were committed 120% to, to building out this concept. And the hard part for me at first was uh, one kind of validating myself. I, I, I When I first started, I definitely had a case, like, pretty bad case of imposter syndrome. So the idea that like you're, you're not worthy to be doing what you're doing and people shouldn't be listening to you. Should I start this company? Is it a bad idea? Like, all, all these thoughts creep into your head. And I think it's really important to, when, when you start thinking about them, just say, hang on a minute, what was I thinking the day I came up with this? What caused me to validate this? Why have I done this? And just try and break it down a, a logical way so you can, until you get comfortable talking about it. So, and that's something I've, a lot of people that in the industry that I spoke to said they struggled with. Imposter syndrome is like pretty tough when you're starting out. So that would probably be one of the big things. The other thing is just the social side of it. Like you do make a lot of sacrifices. So, Seeing your friends go on holiday a couple of times a year when you're pouring your money back into the, the business is tough. Like that side of things is hard as well. So I think these are probably um, obviously you have all the challenges that come with working, actually problems to solve. That's all tough, but it's more the the other parts that I found it more difficult, the sacrifices and the personal personal side of things. Because it's a lonely place. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Which is why which is why it was good that you 
kind of gathered a team early on because yeah. a lot a lot of like solo founders they come up against that problem and as you say the lows are very low and it can, it can it can yeah it can be very difficult for a solo founder because they don't have a team to share that with yeah um so the the whole like imposter syndrome is i think it's massively common yeah with everyone but especially for, for like for younger people as well yep. because they don't really have the experience to kind of fall back on and to validate their sort of oh wait no i can actually do this so how yep. do you kind of like overcome the imposter syndrome uh i think w- for me anyway like i think what it was was the feeling that i had was like that my background my background was in physics i'm educated in physics i'm going into like almost like the app tech side of the industry which is it's a different field to what i've been doing i didn't have i like i hadn't done any marketing i hadn't done any ui ux and like basically it was a case of like just learning on my feet really like just diving into different parts of the business and just having to learn it so I think the kind of the feelings of imposter syndrome went down when I felt that my skills in those areas started to come up. And I thought, actually, you know what? I can talk about this. Like, I'm not just kind of like BSing my way through it. Like, I do understand what I'm talking about. And I think it kind of it subsides over time as you get more invested in the project. So, yeah, it's, it's, it's difficult. And I, I don't think there's a clear way to to get over it and to get comfortable with it because I think it's a very natural thing to think, hang on a minute, it, like, it, is the risk too big that I'm taking? So is, is the juice worth a squeeze? Like, So it's one of those things. I think it just starts to sub- subside as you move through the milestones in your business and you start to say, hey, I have achieved this. I have achieved this. We are moving in the right direction. We Our KPIs are looking correct. Like all these different little things. And uh, it just starts to start to go away really until until you're comfortable with it. But yeah, I don't think there's a key way to get over it. It's just more a case of being more comfortable with what you're doing. And for me, that came through experience. Do you still feel it from time to time? Uh, yeah, I mean, yeah, of course. Like you go into new situations and you think, hang on a minute, how have I, how have I come up here? So the one situation with me, we were approached by one of the uh, largest salon chains in the UK. They were like, hey, we'd like to use your platform. And for me, I was like, uh, like I, I know nothing about enterprise software, nothing. Like the the kind of software platforms that they're, they're using, the amount of bookings I have a minute is insane. So this was a completely new world to me, but the fundamentals of the business are still the same. It's scalable, it's applicable, and it's just about taking a step back and realizing how many people are speaking to you because they see value in what you're doing or they see value in the product that you've created. So once that starts to happen, I think, yeah, I think it, it does subside. But of course, there's, you're always going to get challenged. You're always going to feel a little bit uncomfortable and it can creep back in those situations. But yeah, it's just about uh, almost like reassuring yourself why why you're doing it, why it's the right decision to be doing it, why you started in the first place. It's always kind of uh, helped me deal with it anyway. Yeah, I think, I think it's perfectly normal to feel like that. And I think a lot of people who feel the imposter syndrome creep in, it, it takes yeah. quite a strong hold of them and they kind of feel, oh no, it, it, yeah, the imposter syndrome is real and uh, I can't carry on when actual fact, um, yeah, it's very normal. The people at the very top feel it as well. It's not just the people yeah. starting out. It's it's a continuous thing for even like established entrepreneurs. So the people that I've spoken to anyway. So um, yeah, it's a very normal thing and it's, it's great to talk about, I think, to make it, you know, normalized. Yeah, let's move on from, from you into to you more personally and so you went to university and you, you got your job. Um, 
were you always a an entrepreneur from from like did you always know you wanted to start your own thing or yeah I've always been interested in building things like always since, since I was a kid I liked like building things right? like started out on Lego got onto Meccano whatever that kind of stuff and then when I went to university I, I really like the project-based stuff so I really like the idea of saying hey this is a problem how can we solve it what do the solutions look like and then like how like how will people receive it so for me when I was at university once I started doing the project-based stuff I I, I kind of got hooked so I remember in my final year, I used to have a uh, just, just like a little A5 notebook. And at that point, I was like, right, I want to start. I, I want to go and start something. I want to build a, build something. I want to start a company. And uh, whenever I had an idea, because I was doing all the stuff I was doing was theoretical, it was physics-based, it was building things, I, I thought I needed to get a bit more business acumen. So I would think of an idea and then I, I'd write a business plan for it. And that was a way for me to kind of work out what I needed to do. So... I never really had any training on that. I never did any business studies at school or anything. So it was something I think I wanted to do without realizing it until I was actually building stuff, if that makes sense. It's, it's funny because I, I, like, I never think of myself as an entrepreneur. I find, like, for some reason, I don't, I don't know why, I just find it a little bit cringy. Like, I never think of myself like, I'm going to be an entrepreneur, I want to do this. I, I think of myself as, hey, I like solving problems. I like building things. That's how I see it. So, but yeah, it's just one, one of those things really. It's like, for me, the reason I got into it was just because I like solving problems and I like building things. And then I realized I'm, I'm really passionate about early stage businesses. So from then I got into doing a little bit of uh, mentoring, consulting, that kind of stuff and helping people on project basis. So yeah, I guess, I guess that, that, that was the, the reason for me. It was never like, oh, I want to be a CEO. I want to be a seen as a company founder. It was just a case of I wanted to get stuck in and make something. If that makes yeah, sense. Yeah, I think I think what's what's cool about you is that you've actually taken all that motivation and and all that kind of journey that you've that you've learned and matured from, and you're actually you know giving that back and and teaching people online how to how to start their own thing, especially during times like this where you know everyone's quarantined, they've got loads of time on their hands and um, they want to start their own project but they don't know where to start. And uh, yeah, so starting is I think the big problem. Yeah. So how do you how do you kind of come in and help them with that? So, yeah, this is the thing. I mean, this whole, uh, I'm not sure when you're putting this podcast out, but the coronavirus situation that we find ourselves in now is uh, obviously not the uh, best uh, market really for a hair and beauty company. So luckily for us, we're a tech company, so we can scale back a little bit. But in that time, I've realized actually I'm being approached by so many people saying, hang on a minute, can I just get a little bit of advice, advice about what you're doing for your company? Can we chat about it? And what I found is a lot of people are currently off work at the moment or they're furlonged or something. And they're thinking, actually, you know, that idea I had, I've now got time to put a bit of time and a bit of money into it. So what I've been doing or well, what I'm what I'm starting to do now is I've built a or I'm, I'm currently filming at the moment a video series in which I will uh, basically build a company in a week using the lean principles. And this came about because my sister, she had a successful tutoring company. And then when lockdown happened, that was it. Her business was destroyed and being self-employed and having under three years worth of um, profits to show for it, she couldn't get any money. So she wasn't supported by the government or anything like that. So she had to adapt quickly. So I said to her, look, let's, let's see what we can do. Let's see if we can change your business to make it work in this current climate. And it went from her doing tutoring. Now she's got a website where she, uh, it's basically an online marketplace for lessons. 
to keep education up and it's not just for her tutoring that's with different subjects different the sciences maths and uh, a mixture of paid and free content and we built that out within a week so i showed that to some of my friends are like can you help me do this so now i'm yeah in the process of making a video series to kind of show how i did that and how you can structure it so you can go from an idea or a problem to a product uh, within a week yeah, I think that's something that people don't don't realize that if you do go sort of 100 100% on just starting one thing, you can build yep. stuff out very quickly nowadays and the yep. luxury of the internet that we've grown up with allows us to do that and um yeah, being in this time I know a lot of people are kind of scared and and it's not a very nice time, but it's very much a big op- opportunity for people who want who've always wanted to start their own thing and um as a side hustle perhaps so yeah i think i think yeah. it's like a perfect time for people that we probably won't get this opportunity uh i don't know in, in our lifetimes probably <laughs> yeah this, this is the thing i i think i mean it's awful what's happened but you also the displacement and the the uh what it's caused has probably presented the biggest opportunity well definitely for as long as i can remember for sure because there are so many problems that need solving at the moment and people are desperate to get solutions so uh, I, I think for anyone that's feeling very disheartened about this situation who may have lost their job, think of it like, although it is awful, think about actually what can I do? What problems can I solve? And maybe you might be able to find a business in it. So your, your, your friends that come to you for, for advice on like how to start their own sort of side hustles, I'm, I'm guessing, what's the, mo- what's the most sort of like common and I guess a lot of people might ask, what's the easiest sort of side hustle to start um, in this time? Uh, I think the easiest start uh, side hustle to start is what what interests you. Like what 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 do you like? What do you like doing? I think that's the thing. If people are starting with side hustles, I think they've got to really it's got to be something they're passionate about. If you can make money from your hobby, what would that be? What is your hobby? What are your interests? Because there will be other people that share your interests, other people that share your passions, and there'll probably be a way to monetize it. So I think really the most important thing is to look in yourself and see actually am I starting a company to start a company or am I doing it because I feel actually this is something I'm passionate about I want to build something I want to see this be service being offered I would benefit from this service I think they're the questions that should be really uh, you should really be asking if that is the route you're going down as opposed to saying I'm going to start a company if that makes any sense yeah no yeah no it definitely makes sense it's something that uh yeah you should definitely aim for something that does make you happy and then you know testing that side hustle out yeah uh in the in this time eventually perhaps maybe in the future you could you know work on that full time if it does provide an income because i know at the beginning it might not provide that income so yeah massively important point yeah and i that's one of the things as well that i'm going to be uh, going on is one about how to validate the ideas two to make sure they are the right ideas three testing then also what I haven't hammered in all the um, videos yet, but one of the things that I think would benefit a lot of people and it's benefited a lot of people that I've spoken to is which tools am I using to do the different things? How do you automate your marketing? How do you produce like professional grade marketing quickly? What, and 90% of the tools out there are free. Like people are amazed when I show them, hey, just go to this, you can do it in this, you can do it in all different formats. You can automate it for your Facebook, Instagram. Uh, you can start getting analytics on this. You can work out your cost per acquisition this way and like a lot of it's quite simple it's just it, it helps to have your hand held a little bit and get shown how to use it in the first place and from there you can just kind of take it and fly with it but yeah i think that's another thing as well where we are at the moment like there are so many solutions with technology that actually the 
the barrier to entry in terms of what skills you need is isn't that high at the most uh, at the moment and most people have them from their day-to-day lives and what they're doing on their phone like that they pretty much already have all the skills and they, they never probably thought about graphic design and uh yeah that side of thing isn't as difficult and i think that puts a lot of people off yeah there's so much it's crazy actually if you think about it how much resource is out there right now and how much of it has kind of been there within the last it's only put been put there within the last sort of like 20 years yeah uh it's crazy like you you could become an expert in something pretty much pretty much in a few days like you, there's so many courses free courses as well um youtube videos audio books you can become an expert in something very quickly yeah uh whatever age you are and it's yeah that's that's again highlighting how amazing the internet is and how you know at this time it could be very beneficial for you yeah I think one of the the biggest things that I've seen from that was uh, it's a, a newish thing as well. Well, it's been around for a few years, but one one place that you can look for that is uh, with graphic design. So previously, yeah, you, you pretty much had to be skilled in uh, Photoshop, uh, Illustrator, something like that, to be able to produce good graphic design for whatever kind of products you're going to do. And now you've got uh, companies like Canva, and it's literally drag and drop. All the presets are there your dojo to make instagram content and it, it it takes seconds like to make production quality videos for your uh, marketing takes seconds where it would have taken a couple of days a couple of years ago and i think that really is where yeah. p- people are like actually th- th- this side of things isn't so hard and I, I almost go in the other direction i say look don't don't even worry about being an expert try and tr- learn just learn 10 percent that allows you to do 90 percent of the stuff and if you can do that, you can you can get the skills in all different aspects of running a business, whether it's sales, whether it's marketing, whether it's prototyping, whether it's building out uh, designs, whether it's speaking to customers, uh, all these kind of things. You can just scrape the best parts from each of the different aspects of every business. And I think you can do a, a lot more than you realize in the early stages. And I think that's something that's really important to reinforce to people and show them how to do it. Yeah, I mean, the approach that you could, that you're probably talking about is just learn the basics so the 10 percent that you said and then the rest will kind of come either through doing and through those you know talking to people and stuff like that right yeah exactly i mean if you try and make for, for say for example let's use canva again if if you want to like i learned photoshop because at the time i kind of had to learn it to do uh, a lot of the design stuff i was doing but if you take canva you can build something in literally two or three minutes and then you can post to all of your social channels that would take probably four hours in photoshop and that's four hours after you've learned how to use Photoshop with Canva. It's just drag and drop. It's just there. So yeah. you can you you don't need to learn those skills anymore. And everything that you need for for things like that, it's, it's already there. You already know how to do it. If you're using apps, if you're using a laptop, you already know how to do it. And that's the thing that I think would have been beneficial. Maybe maybe I'm a bit out of touch. Now. I'm a bit older, so I don't know what they're teaching at school. But if they told me at school that I can make professional grade marketing after spending an hour in a program or if i can analyze my sales channels just using google analytics to work out my cost per acquisition they talked about these kind of things that are beneficial when you're trying to run a company like i i really feel that this is kind of the gaps in education that are being missed out at the moment and that people would benefit a lot from yeah for sure so if, if anyone listening is actually really interested in utilizing their time more efficiently and, and wanting wanting to start that side hustle that they've been wanting to start for ages do check out ben's channel and and he can definitely provide you you know guidance on, on starting your own thing uh and also 
don't forget to check out Bu as well. Uh, once we can all go outside and get our haircuts that we've all wanted to have for a long time. <laughs> so yeah, thanks for thanks for joining me on this podcast, Ben. Thank you so much. Yeah, I really appreciate it. So yeah, go get your haircuts all on Bu and check out Problem to Product on YouTube that'll be launching in the next couple of weeks. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Millennial Entrepreneur Podcast. I hope you did enjoy it. If you did, we'd really appreciate your five-star rating along with a review as it really does help us out. Be sure to also check out Ben's app, Bu, uh, if you are looking for a haircut. And also, if you do want to start a side hustle, his channel is really useful. So be sure to check that out as it would be really valuable. I've been Sina Sadzada. See you in the next episode.